passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Good morning, everybody. We are live from the Big Phil Palace in Aurora, Ontario. I am your host, filling in for one John Pollock. I am the Big Phil Combo, Phil Chair Talk, joined as always by the one, the only, the Sultan of Sudbury, the Emperor of Elden Ring, one Eric Marcotte. Eric, how are you doing on this Sunday morning? Wow, that that was a hell of an intro, Phil. I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, glad to have you back. It's been it's been five months, which is you know pretty much the turnaround between fights for fighters. So I think you're you're officially on the MMA schedule. You, you show up once every five months. You get your big win in, and then we see you down the line when you're ready for another one. Well, I, you know, I, I I I've learned that you need to have a good negotiation period. You can't just be taking fights every single month. I mean, it do, it doesn't work out with those quick turnarounds. You know, at first it's okay, but then it it comes to bite you in the ass. So uh, we're here to talk about UFC two ninety four, which uh, went down yesterday from. Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, the Etihad Arena. Uh, a lot of changes in the last two weeks to, to this card. Originally, the main event was supposed to be Islam Makachev versus Charles Oliveira, a rematch for the lightweight title. Instead, we got uh, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Islam Makachev. Uh, another rematch from a uh, great fight from earlier this year. And then the co-main event also saw a change as uh, Kamaru Usman stepped in on short notice to take on Hamzat Chemaev with the original opponent, Paulo Costa, having to be pulled from the fight. So uh, before we get into the action, Eric, just wanted to get your thoughts on the changes that occurred to this card. Well, how excited were you for the ori original two fights? Uh, and these changes, was that an upgrade? Was that a downgrade? Okay, let's start with uh, the co-main event before we get into the main event. So we originally, of course, had uh, Hamza Chimaya versus Paulo Costa scheduled. Uh, Paulo Costa, a fighter who has been scheduled a lot over these last few years, but hasn't fought all that often. Honestly, you could say the same thing about Hamza Chimaev. So when that fight got scheduled, I think there was a lot of skepticism about whether it would actually come to fruition. And it did not, unfortunately. Paulo Costa was forced to withdraw from the fight. We have Kamaro Usman stepping up on two weeks' notice. And for me, that was a far more interesting fight than Paulo Costa versus Hamza Chimaev. I, I mean, Costa is a talented fighter. He's a hard hitter. But honestly, I, I really favored Chimaev by a considerable margin going into that fight. I wasn't sure how much Costa was going to have to offer for him and for a fighter like Kamaru Usman with his uh, his laundry list of accomplishments and impressive takedown defense to be the guy stepping in at middleweight, no less. 
I, I was far more into that fight. How about you, Phil? Um, I, I was a little bit higher on the Costa fight. I mean, uh, I know it had been a while since we'd seen him in the octagon and there had been some, uh, you know, he's obviously had history of not being able to make some fights, but I, I really thought that this one was going to happen. Um, and then, you know, his, uh, elbow surgery and staph infection happened fa- fairly late along the lines and, um, I liked the fight more than the Kamaru Usman fight because Costa is a natural middleweight. And I really wanted to see uh, Hamzat go up against a true middleweight. Um, you know, we'd seen him tested at 170 against Gilbert Burns, and he'd had a relatively easy time in his few middleweight fights. So I really did think that Costa was going to be able to challenge him. Um, and the fact that uh, Usman was stepping in, you know, great fighter, but super short notice, not his first fight at middleweight. So um, while a very skilled opponent, one of the best uh, welterweights ever, one of the best fighters in the world, I wasn't sure how much it was going to tell us about Hamzat at middleweight. And I think uh, after... After uh, we get, you know, to the recap of the fight, there still remains a lot of questions about uh, what Hamzat can do at middleweight after his performance in this one. Um, yeah, and we'll get to all that later, but we might as well head into the main event changes now, because this event was, of course, set to be headlined by the rematch between Charles Oliveira and Islam Makachev. Uh, Oliveira pulls out, nasty cut above his eye. Alexander Volkanovsky steps in. Um, both rematches, of course, but the first fights between the two couldn't have been any more different. Uh, Islam Makachev just kind of walked through Charles Oliveira in his first fight, uh, dropping him before submitting him in the second round, while his first fight with Alexander Volkanovsky was very competitive. Some even uh, d- debated the scoring of it. So I-, I think people immediately after those initial bouts were certainly more interested in the Volkanovsky belt. But given the circumstances heading into this one, I, this was a bit of a downgrade to me personally. I I didn't think on two weeks' notice Alexander Volkanovsky was going to be able to do more than he did in that first fight. While I certainly thought Charles Oliveira was capable of much more than he showed in his first fight against Islam Makachev. So I was a bit disappointed by the replacement and also a bit disappointed that we were kind of throwing away the Makachev Volkanovsky rematch on two weeks' notice. Yeah, I I agree. I think the I I think two weeks' notice is obviously a challenge for anyone, especially going up against Islam Makachev. Where uh, I it really bothered me was more so the fact that Volkanovsky was just coming off of hand surgery. And had he not had that hand surgery, had we known he was still in the gym doing his, um, you know, his regular routine, um, there'd been a lot of rumors that he was going to be headlining an event in January, potentially in Toronto. So the idea of him being in a training camp or being tra- training regularly would have made it a lot more appealing of a rematch, even on that short notice. But the fact that he had that surgery, we know he was out of action for a while. Um, that's kind of what made it feel a little less than optimal. And you could see it in his physique. 
he didn't look quite as solid as he did in that first fight with Makachev. He just seemed a little bit softer. I mean, still in good shape. Like, you know, he wasn't like some out of shape guy, but you could just tell he just wasn't as strong and chiseled as he was earlier this year. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it just wasn't the best situation for a rematch that definitely would have had a lot of anticipation going into it. And that's not to say that people weren't anticipating this. If you're in the UFC's shoes here, I think this was as great of a short notice replacement as you could possibly pull out of your hat to keep the pay-per-view buys up. But uh, just from a personal perspective, I was looking forward to the Oliveira rematch more. And uh, I was a bit disappointed by the fact that we were just, I mean, we'll get into it, but this kind of closed the chapter on this rivalry when I don't think today or yesterday should have been the end of it. But uh, hey, we might as well jump right into it. Islam Makachev, Alexander Volkanovsky 2. The rematch, their initial fight, that is, was actually only like in March of this year. It feels like, or February. It already feels like a lifetime ago. MMA moved so quickly, but Makachev won that fight by unanimous decision. They both start out with a bit of a feeling out process on the feet. Uh, Volkanovski defends Makachev's first takedown defense, but he's not really doing much offensively. While Islam is getting to work, he's throwing some leg kicks, working his jab. Uh, eventually, they start wrestling in the clinch where Volkanovski is able to match Islam in terms of strength and getting the better of the positioning. But it is Islam who kind of sinks in that high clinch where he starts to land some solid knees to the midsection and uh, chin of Volkanovski before they separated. Volkanovski looked fine coming out of it and they kind of reset in the center of the cage. And it wasn't long before Islam lands this beautiful left high kick that just rocks Volkanovski badly. And Volkanovski manages to stay on his feet, but he has nowhere to go because he's right next to the cage and he's hurt bad. And Islam just swarms him of strikes against the cage, dropping him hard, and quickly finishing the fight with ground and pound. So, Islam Makachev wins by knockout at 3 minutes and 6 seconds of the first round, retains his UFC lightweight championship for his second successful defense, both against Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, I expected Islam Makachev to win this fight, but a first-round knockout, uh, a spectacular one at that, uh, certainly a surprising result. Um, What were your thoughts watching the fight-ending sequence here, Phil? Yeah, I mean, really uh, masterful performance by Makachev. Uh, you know, he he pretty much had a f- flawless performance. I mean, he did miss that early takedown, but, you know, it wasn't something that he committed super hard to. Uh, Volkanovsky was able to reverse the position against the cage, tried several takedown attempts of his own, but none of them were successful. Islam looked super strong when he had the tie clinch. Uh, in this fight, it looked like that could be a very difficult position for uh, Volkanovsky and, uh, you know, repeated leg kicks, body kicks, ultimately set up uh awesome fight ending sequence with the high kick and then the ground and pound to end it. Just uh, really a perfect performance and uh, just cementing himself as uh, not only the number one fighter at 155, but uh, now I, I think he really shoots up the pound for pound rankings and it really comes down to him and your opinion of where John Jones sits in uh, in that world. So uh, tremendous performance. Um, and now it, it really begs the question of what's next for him. I mean, do you go with the 
Oliveira rematch that was originally scheduled here, or now, you know, you've got Justin Gaethje coming off that huge high profile head kick knockout of his own against Dustin Poirier. I think a lot of people might be clamoring for that fight as the next one for Islam. After the fight and the press conference, it sounded as though the UFC was going to go in the Oliveira direction, going towards the rematch instead. Uh, it wouldn't shock me, though, if they do end up going with Justin Gaethje. Uh, obviously, he's a very popular fighter coming off a strong win. It'd be a first-time matchup, so you have a lot going on there. Uh, the argument against that is I do think Charles Oliveira is a better fighter than, fighter than Justin Gaethje. He beat him fairly quickly not that long ago, so... I can see the case for going right back to that rematch with Islam Makachev as well. Uh, either way, I think Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje are probably the two most exciting fighters in the entire sport. So you can't go wrong with either of them in the headlining position. But I think Islam Makachev will be a sizable favorite regardless of whose next opponent is. And in my opinion, yeah, he's solidified himself as the top pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Uh, does... Uh, emphatic win by John Jones next month change that uh, ranking at all? No, for me, John Jones's current ranking kind of reminds me of when um, George St. Pierre came back in 2017, beat Michael Bisping, and immediately shot to the top of the pound for pound rankings. It's like you're you're very much judging this. If you just want to judge his entire career's worth, of course, John Jones has a, an incredible resume. It's unmatched, basically. Uh, the same as when George beat Bisping and came back to the top of the rankings. But if you're just judging based on recent work and quality of opposition, then I don't actually think there's any argument to be made for John Jones being in the conversation. So what does this do then for Alex Volkanovsky? I mean, we've we've only seen him with one defeat ever in the UFC. That was earlier this year. That was to Islam, unanimous decision, although, you know, some people debated it. Um, I had Islam winning that fight personally. Um, you know, finish here pretty brutally. He asked uh, in the post-fight interview for the UFC to keep him busy. It sounds like he wants to stay on that uh, UFC 296 card in January. Um, what do you think about that turnaround? Obviously, he's not only dealing with concussion, but he got a pretty bad cut over his eye because of the head kick. Um, do you think it's reasonable to turn him around in that time? And does this change th- your thoughts on that potential matchup with Ilya Tapuria? Um, because even though Volkanovsky lost earlier this year, and, and of course, this fight and that fight were at 155. He's kind of looked invincible at 145. So does that, does this loss change your perception of him? And does it make you give Ilya Tapuria more of a chance in that fight? Um, if the fight happens in January, then definitely I'd give more of a chance to Tapuria because I think that's a very quick turnaround considering all of the physical issues uh, Alexander Volkanovsky seems to be facing at the moment. And in his post-fight press conference, he did seem very, um, very down and desperate just to stay busy. So I'm not going to speculate about what's going on in his life, but it seems like a bit of a rough period for him. And I don't think that taking this fight against a, a killer like Taporia in January is a fantastic idea. With that being said, I still favor Volkanovski in that fight. He's looked amazing at featherweight. He's beaten the best of the best, and he's made it look easy. 
his last fights against Yair Rodriguez and Max Holloway, they weren't even competitive. So I'm not sure that Teporia has had that performance that, I mean, as great as Teporia is, there there hasn't been that moment where I'm like, oh, this is the guy who's going to beat Volkanovski at featherweight. I, I haven't seen that yet. If it happens in January, though, I think a lot of people will be putting some money on him, just in case. Yeah, I'm curious to see what those lines are because uh, Volkanovski has been such a sizable favorite at uh, featherweight uh, up to now. And I think that just the nature of this loss and the timing of when that rematch potentially occurs uh, could definitely shift those lines to be a lot closer. All right. So moving on to the other uh replacement last second fight we have Kamaru Usman former welterweight champion taking on Hamzat Chemaev at middleweight Usman coming off of two consecutive losses to uh Leon Edwards um so you kind of gave us your thoughts already on this potential matchup so why don't we just jump into the action Eric we start off the fight after a bit of an intense face down as they were being introduced. Uh, Usman defends Shemaev's first takedown, but he gives up his back uh, on the process. And Shemaev just kind of drags him down repeatedly against the cage, just wearing on Usman, who hasn't really trained for this fight, who hasn't been in camp. Shemaev takes Usman's back on the ground. He locks in a, a body triangle and he's starting to look for a rear naked choke. Usman does his best to escape out from under Chmaev. Uh, he even gets back to his feet at one point, but that body triangle is still locked in, which allows Chmaev to keep hunting for that rear naked choke. At one point, the positioning was pretty solid. I don't know if he was quite under Usman's chin, but he, he was close at the very least. And what Usman does in response is he just like throws himself full force forward onto his and Chimaev's face. And it works because it shakes Chimaev off of him, or at least it, it, it loosens the choke, so he is not in danger of being submitted anymore. Chimaev's still on his back, and he stays in that position for the remainder of the round. So this is basically five minutes of dominant back control time for Chimaev. Not a ton of damage done, but he was certainly uh, in a position of nearly finishing the fight at one point with that rear naked choke attempt. This was uh, per- perhaps the most interesting round to discuss because I saw it as a 10-8 round. Uh, I believe all three judges saw it as a 10-8 round for Chimaev. Uh, what-, what did you think, Phil? I thought it was a clear 10-8 round. Um, while you made the point that there wasn't a ton of... Uh, like really devastating shots that Chemayev landed. There were some, a few that were pretty strong. They were consistent and it was, I mean, Usman, yeah, exactly. And Usman really didn't, I don't think he landed anything, maybe a few shots like going backwards uh, just to, to, you know, fire back a few times. But really, as you just said, it was one direction and uh, I gave it 10 to Chemayev. We go into round two, and feints were keeping both fighters a bit hesitant in the second round, and you could see the crowd starting to get a bit restless as a result. And yeah, the pace was slow, but that was beneficial to Usman here, who just seemed to be the sharper striker, beating Chimaev uh, to the punch on a lot of his jabs and straight punches. It was a pretty close round, I would say, because whenever Chimaev did throw, he was throwing with clear power, like 
he really puts a lot into each of his strikes as someone who's scored a lot of ridiculous knockouts. But I thought Usman was a bit more impactful, especially at one point he lands this hard jab, which was clearly the uh, most impactful moment of the round. Chimaev gets a takedown near the end, but he doesn't really do anything with it. I thought that this was a fairly clear round for Usman. I, I can see the case for Chimaev, but I, uh, when I look at damage as the top scoring criteria, uh, it just seemed to me as though Usman was, he got more of a reaction out of Chimaev with his shots. He was la- He outlanded him throughout the round. He kept Chimaev from doing anything with his top control time near the end. How, how did you see this one, Phil? So I, I saw it the same way. I thought that uh, Usman just landed a few cleaner shots. I think that I think the the strike counts was fairly even, but it just seemed like Usman uh, really got uh, the timing of Hamzat as it was entering. It was just his strikes just had a little bit more impact, and then that let, late takedown. Uh, you know, yeah, he got a takedown, but he really didn't do anything with it whatsoever. So it's if if it had been even until that point, yes, that that can be the deciding difference from a control perspective. But I think that it was pretty clear that Usman got the edge in the striking, particularly in the last couple minutes of the round. So uh, I gave it to him. We go into round three. Usman defends a takedown attempt to start the round, and he lands this hard right hand, prompting Chimaev to respond with one of his own. Uh, Chimaev's shooting for takedowns, but Usman's doing a good job of defending, and as the round wears on, he's get growing more and more confident. He starts to push forward. He's throwing one-twos. The crowd is starting to rally behind Kamara Usman, who's pushing the pace. Uh, he's landing at a fairly successful rate, too. Like He's not just winning shots. He is clipping Chimaev when he moves forward. Eventually, Chimaev defends a takedown attempt from Usman, and he shoots for one of his own in response, and he succeeds, taking the fight back to the ground. He has a decent amount of time to work here, and he moves into half guard. But once again, he's not really doing that much with his position here. And this time, Usman escapes back to his feet with time remaining, and he just throws down of Chimaev until time expires. Um, I-, I scored this round for Kamara Usman as well. How did you see it, Phil? So I think this was the toughest round to score in the fight. I gave it to Chimaev. Um, it was... You know, similar to round two in that Usman was getting the better of Chimaev on the feet, but Chimaev was landing, so it wasn't like it was entirely one-sided. And then Chimaev did get that takedown, this time maintaining top control much longer. He did land some strikes, not dev- nothing devastating, but unlike round two, he was able to maintain that position and land some shots. And then when they finally did get up at the last 30 seconds of the round, yes, it was Usman who flurried, but Hamzat was answering back as well. So maybe you can say Usman got the better of the exchange, um, but it wasn't like Hamzat didn't hit him back. So super close round. Uh, I, I don't have a problem really with someone scoring it for Usman, but I did give it to Hamzat ultimately because it was just so much top control and he was landing in that position. 
So the judges were split on round three. Two of them gave round three to Usman. One of them gave round three to Chimaev. But one judge also gave Chimaev the second round. So we get two scorecards of 29-27 in favor of Chimaev and 128-28 for a draw. Hamza Chimaev wins your fight by majority decision. Uh, a pretty, obviously a debated scorecard given how close those last two rounds were. But I think most people were in agreement that at the very least... This was like Usman. The first round was unfortunately kind of a deal breaker for him in terms of getting his arm raised because it was a clear 10 8 round, I think, on most people's scorecards. Um, regardless, I thought this was a very, very, very impressive performance from Kamaru Usman on just two weeks' notice against one of uh, the more dangerous fighters at Welterweight or Middleweight. He was taken down early. He had to dig in deep because it's not a position you see Kamaru Usman in often taken down and dominated like that. But I thought he was very clearly the better striker. I thought he was landing the harder shots and I thought he had the better cardio despite no training camp. So he may have lost the fight, but I I thought this was uh, more of an indictment of Usman's greatness than a standout performance from Hamza Chimaev. Yeah, I agree. I thought, you know, he, he did very well to recover from horrible position in round one, came back, was able to, you know, be very effective with his boxing. The, you know, this is kind of the second time we've seen Hamzat have a, a three round performance where he's faded a little bit. Um, a lot of questions wondering, like, what would happen if there were two more rounds to this fight, right? Kamaru Usman, you, you're somebody who's just accustomed to five-round fights and going five rounds, typically, uh, we, as we've seen many, many times with him. <laughs> um, now, uh, Shemayev did mention uh, later that he injured his wrist in the first round, so that could have played a factor into how effective his striking is or was during uh, rounds two and three. But uh, I, I do think you you have to wonder how well he prepared he would be for, uh, you know, somebody like Sean Strickland, who we know can go five rounds, can bring the pressure to him. And uh, he, I think he's going to need to do a lot to prepare for a five-round fight and maintain that intensity and pace that he's known for. Uh, what do you think about that potential matchup? Do you think that that's what the UFC should go with? And uh, do you still have questions on Hamzat's ability to go five rounds? Uh, starting with the cardio, yeah, it's definitely a concern for Hamzat Shemaev at this point. Um, it is worth noting that he was getting the better of the wrestling throughout this fight. Kamaru Usman has some of the highest takedown defense in MMA history, but... Uh, Chimaev was able to take him down multiple times and keep him down for a significant amount of time. That's impressive in its own right and also takes a lot out of you, holding a fighter like Usman down for that long. Uh, it's also worth noting that at middleweights, who, who's going to do that aside, aside from Kamaru Usman? Who has that wrestling pedigree or ability? It's, it's a bit of a barren division, honestly. There isn't that many... A strong contenders, strong wrestlers in the division. I think Robert Whitaker is someone who, if he, if he works his way back into the position, he's a very difficult fighter to just beat with a wrestling-heavy approach. But when I look at the majority of names in the conversation right now, I, I think th- that wrestling-heavy attack 
will benefit Chimaev in those fights more than it did here against Kamara Usman or than it did against Gilbert Burns, who's very da- dangerous on the ground in his own right. And Chimaev wasn't even looking for takedowns in that one. Uh, as far as the fight against Sean Strickland goes, I think the UFC's made it pretty clear that's what they want next. Um, I favor Chimaev pretty heavily in that fight. Okay. And what about Kamaru Usman? Um, you know, impressive performance, short notice, but at middleweight. And, you know, he's somebody who is a former welterweight champion. Um, you know, he's lost twice to the current uh, welterweight champion, uh, Leon Edwards. Would you like to see him stay at middleweight? Would you like to see him go back to welterweight and take on some potential contenders there? Uh, Usman's in a really interesting place right now. Because if we just look throughout his last three fights, he has this one, a loss against uh, Chimaev, but, you know, super impressive performance, weight class up on two weeks' notice. Fight before that, uh, a very competitive loss to Leon Edwards. And the fight before that, he absolutely dominated Leon Edwards before getting caught at the end. So... I find it actually very tough to rank exactly where Kamaru Usman's at right now compared to his peak and where he compares when we're talking about the best fighters at welterweight and middleweight. Obviously, he's still in that conversation. Uh, I don't need to see him fight Leon Edwards again. They've done it three times now. We know how they stand. I don't need to see him fight Colby Covington again. That's already happened twice over. I would rather he stay at middleweight. He called for a fight with Driscus Duplessis, I believe, after the show. And uh, you know what? I'm completely down for that fight. So no so no Bilal Muhammad then? Oh, my. Bilal Muhammad. I forgot the name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what Bilal Muhammad... I feel like Bilal Muhammad probably has a fight book or something, and none of us even know about it. I think, he was, uh, I think the idea was he was supposed to fight Usman. That's what the it sounded like the UFC was was sort of aiming for, but because I it actually is... would like to see that fight if it were to happen, but I, I prefer him to stay at middleweight now, just because with Colby Covington and Leon Edwards fighting for the title uh, later this year, I, I just don't want to see that fight again. So DDP again misses out on a title shot, uh, and oh yeah. Uh... <laughs> That's what he gets for pulling out of a fight once. He is forever disgraced in the UFC's book. And your book, too, apparently. (laughs) No, no, I quite like him. (laughs) But you think that Robert Whitaker would would do better to get Hamza than DDP? Yeah, just stylistically, I think Whitaker is uh, a tougher matchup for Hamza Chimaev. Just he has a very, I, I think if you have a wrestling heavy approach or you're a, an especially wild striker, that's something that Whitaker can, Whitaker can always capitalize on. I say that, but Driscus Duplessis kind of fits the bill of a guy with a wild style, but mm-hmm. nonetheless. Driscus Duplessis just got screwed by the UFC and they're going to make him fight again. <laughs> And, and it's unfortunate, but we've seen it over and over and over again. Just look at poor Bilal Muhammad, right? All right. So moving to talking about Wild, uh, we had a very interesting, I guess you could say, <laughs> light heavyweight matchup as Magomed Ankalaev took on Johnny Walker. Magomed Ankalaev, this is his first fight since that draw uh, with uh, Jan Blahovich from uh, last year, one of the uh, one of the most lackluster sort of finales to a UFC uh, main event ever. Um, but uh, you know he was looking to rebound here, uh, taking on you know a pretty high profile 
fight on a high-profile card, and uh, why don't you tell us uh, what happened here? So the fight starts by uh, Walker and Ankalaev trading leg kicks. Uh, a right hook from Ankalaev finds its target, and he lands this hard body shot. And you, after he lands the hard shot to the body, you, you could see Walker just kind of crumbling in on himself. But as Ankalaev steps forward, Walker just jumps up with a flying knee as though he is playing possum. Unfortunately, the flying knee doesn't really find its target, and Ankalaev just steps in, taking him down in the process. The Walker kind of scoots his way over to the cage where Ankalaev's in top position. And as Walker is grounded, what does Ankalaev do? He knees him in the head. So the talk, the uh, referee stops the action. The doctor is brought in to check on Johnny Walker. And uh, he asks Walker a number of questions, including what country is he in? Uh, apparently, Johnny Walker responds somewhere in the desert. And that's that. The fight is called off. It's a no contest at three minutes and 13 seconds of the first round. Uh, this was peak light heavyweight MMA. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. I, I wasn't looking forward to this fight. It was a funny ending uh, and a complete disaster as the fighters were nearly ready to brawl in the middle of the cage after. Like they had the entire security team in there, all the coaches, Dana White. They were all trying to stop Johnny Walker from losing his mind after the referee's decision here or the doctor's decision. But this was a complete disaster. Yeah, it, it seemed like uh, Johnny Walker didn't even understand that the fight was called off. He he tried to go after Magomed Ankalaev numerous times. He pushed uh, the referee out of the way at one point and kept trying to get the fight to resume. Um, it finally took Dana White to step into the octagon and to cool things down. Uh, then when the r results were read and it was called a no contest, uh, it looked like they were going to be cool for a second as they touched gloves, but apparently... Uh, Uncle Iev took something the wrong way and was ready to throw down once more. And they cleared them out of the, the cage real fast. And, uh, you know, another, uh, you know, um, unclimactic finish for Magomed and Goliath yeah. two in a row. Uh, I mean, do, do you run this one back, Eric? I mean, I guess the post fight theatrics could be used in a, promotional material okay what what if i told you that there was a fight for an interim championship or a vacant championship <laughs> even and these two fighters they, they fought to a draw because that's just how it ended and neither was awarded the championship at the end and instead of rebooking the fight for the title the ufc just said you know what Fuck these guys. They don't get another title shot. This guy gets to go fight Johnny Walker in the middle of the desert, and we're never going to hear from him again. There, There's no sense to this division and its ongoings. Nothing. There's no logical course of action in which these fights get made. Um, could they run this fight back? Sure, yeah. Do an Apex main event. Who cares? But, I, I mean, I'm not interested in it. Uh, perhaps some people will be. Anc I think Ankalaev will run through Johnny Walker if the fight gets remade. I, I wasn't. I didn't see enough from Johnny Walker throughout the short duration of this fight to make me think that he was he was going to win. So I, I'm personally not interested in it. Will the UFC run it back? Maybe. Uh, who cares? Do you care, Phil? Uh, I mean, I I don't. I guess I don't really care. Um, 
I think Ankalaev is a guy who, you know, as you more than alluded to, deserves to be at the top of the division and fighting for a title or or something significant. Um, Of course, there's a title fight coming up uh, in a few weeks at UFC 295 as Yuri Prohaska takes on Alex Pereira. Um, you know, so, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd be, I, I think maybe Uncle Iov waits for that to play out and hopefully he gets, he gets a shot at the title. I mean, um, you know, he, I mean, he didn't, I wanted, to, I wanted to say he didn't do anything wrong here, but he did land an illegal yeah, knee. No, so. he probably should have been disqualified. It was a completely intentional illegal blow. So this probably should have been a DQ win for Johnny Walker, but there is no uh, typical ruling for these. The referee just calls what they want in these situations, it seems. So whatever. Light heavyweight is a very uninteresting division right now. Thankfully, regardless of the standings and the title picture, we do have Yuri Prohashka coming back to fight Alex Pierre, which will be super entertaining. Yeah, of course, Jamal Hill, that interim interim champion, uh, being injured and having to relinquish yeah. his belt. And so, uh, I mean, I, I don't even want to go through the lineage of the, the UFC light heavyweight title. I mean... I mean, technically, John Jones is probably still champion somewhere out there, right? <laughs> I mean, he vacated so many times that I don't even know. I, I feel like ever since 2015, this title has just been in no man's land. All right. So going forward through the card, we had a middleweight battle between Ikram Alaskarov talking, taking on Worley Alves, you know, somebody who I did not <laughs> peg to fight on a UFC pay-per-view in 2023, but uh, nonetheless, here he was. <laughs> that was my thoughts exactly. When I was looking down this pay-per-view card and I saw that Worley Alves made it onto the main card of the pay-per-view, it was... Sometimes the UFC is just incredibly obvious with their desired results. It's... It's a Bellator MMA move right there. Bellator loves to do it, where especially on their prelims, where they'll take the guy that they're interested in and they will give him somebody with just absolutely no shot. And that's exactly what the UFC did right here because Ikram Alasarov, he is uh, genuinely a very, very dangerous fighter. His only professional loss was a quick knockout loss to Hamza Chimaev. And if your one loss is like a flash knockout to Chimaev, uh, that that doesn't say much about uh, your lack of abilities or lack of ceiling as a fighter. This guy is for real, and you saw it in this fight. He immediately steps in with a hard leg kick. Uh, he lands this heavy combination after Alves goes in for a leg kick of his own. A jab from Alaskarov just drops Alves, and as Alves tries to pick himself up, Alaskarov steps forward with a flying knee, rocking him even further. Alves is hurt badly, and Alaskarov just unleashes a flurry of strikes until Alves crumbles down against the cage. Uh, Alaskarov wins by TKL at two minutes and seven seconds of the first round. He was a massive favorite going into the fight. He made good on those odds. And uh, you know what? After the fight, Dana White was talking about Alaskarov immediately jumping to ranked opposition. And in a middleweight division that's not that stacked right now, I I think I'd favor him over a lot of guys in that division. 
Yeah, certainly very impressive performance. Of course, uh, the level of opposition doesn't tell you too much. But look, you, if you're trying to make a run and they put super low rank guys against you, you do need to run through them and uh, mission accomplished right here. Uh, one thing that might be worthwhile to mention, and uh, I forgot to say at the top of the card, we had uh, John Anik, Paul Felder and Daniel Cormier on the call here. Uh, Daniel Cormier with the bizarre uh, introduction <laughs> of Worley Alves. I mean, I think he said that he even fought for a title at one yeah, point. I, know. I thought I heard that too. Was, right. what, who does he think Worley Alves is? He is might, I think he think he's uh, Tiago Alves. That's what I thought too. Is he, does he think Worley Alves is Tiago Alves? Yes. <laughs> Cormier was... Uh, Cormier was a bit off all night, and but that one really cracked me up. We have former title challenger Worley Alves. I, I mean, he fought Kamara Usman at one point, so that's maybe what Cormier was confused by. I, I don't know. Uh, regardless, um, sure, let's just say Alves. We, we can just throw these things at anyone. He probably challenged for some title at some point, right? He challenged for the tough title, the tough Brazil 3 title, and he won, so... You can you can go with whatever you want to promote these guys. <laughs> uh, any particular name you'd like to see Alaskarov take on uh, at middleweight? Um, hold on, buy me some time here as I look up the rankings because I don't even know who's in the picture when we're talking about that fifteen to tenth ranked uh, spot here. Uh, pulling them up now. Okay, how about Chris Curtis? Chris Curtis seems like a fine test if we're talking about the guys who are kind of situated at that 10th to 15th rank. Yeah, I think I think that that's pretty solid. Um, all you, right. You don't, you don't want to put him against Paul Craig because that's how you lose a prospect. How many of these guys just get thrown to Paul Craig and get Paul Craig and find <laughs> themselves on the fight pass prelims for the next six years building themselves <laughs> back up? Uh, um. All right. So, moving on to open moving up, on. open up the uh, pay per view portion of the evening. We had Said Nurmagomedov taking on Muin Gafarov, and I gotta admit, I was <laughs> not familiar with this Gafarov character, and uh, I doubt I'm going to be remembering him much after this as well. Yeah, much like the fight we talked about, this was one of those fights where there uh, there may have been a desired result from the UFC here, given that Said Nurmagomedov is a nearly ranked fighter who has had who's looked very good and throughout his UFC run, while uh, Gafarov has had one fight in the promotion in which he lost to uh, John Castaneda. So obviously Nurmagomedov a heavy favorite going into this fight, and as it plays out, Gafarov just kind of charges him to begin the fight and kind of wraps him up in the clinch against the cage as he's shooting for a double leg. Nurmagomedov just locks in a ninja choke, a, a ninja choke immediately as he's doing it, and he forces the submission in a minute and 13 seconds of the first round. A very quick win for a side Nurmagomedov. Yeah, much like the middleweight contest we talk about, we just spoke about uh, Nurmagomedov was put into this fight to make a statement. He did. Um, he now has two of the quickest submission wins in bantamweight history. Um, is he somebody that you think needs to jump up the rankings uh, and fight, you know, significant opposition like we were just discussing with Al Skarov? 
Yeah, um, maybe not to the same degree as Alaskarov, just because the um, bantamweight division is a lot deeper than middleweight. Like at middleweight, when you have someone with clear talent, I think you gotta push them as hard as you can immediately. Well, at bantamweight, uh, you're gonna struggle with your top thirty ranked fighters just because. It, the guys there are so good. With that being said, Nurmagomedov is somebody who's right on that brink of a top 15 opponent. He he fought Jonathan Martinez in his last fight. He lost. That's why he's not fighting a ranked opponent here. But I think this was enough of a quick finish to get him back on track. And I, I think we'll probably see him as the ranked opponent next time. Okay. On to the preliminary card, uh, which uh, I promise we will not spend too much time on, but I think there are a couple of fights worth noting, uh, particularly that featured prelim, uh, which which had a flyweight bout between Tim Elliott and Muhammad Mokayev. Mokayev, undefeated, big-time prospect, and put into pretty much his most high-profile fight to date. Yeah, so this was one of the fights I did want to talk about. It was one of the more uh, interesting ones on the card, I thought. Mokayev has looked quite impressive throughout his UFC run. He's a, he's the type of fighter who we've seen him in tough situations. Like, just his last fight. I, I'm sorry, I forget the fighter he was in there against. But he was he was in the deepest knee bar you will ever see in the sport. To the extent that everybody watching thought that this guy was going to be out for forever following this this brutal hyperextension. And he came back to win that fight in the very same round. So he, he's a very resilient fighter, a very high-level fighter. With that being said, Tim Elliott marked a significant rise in competition. And I did think you saw that play out here. I'm, I'm not going to go through the entire fight here, but as the fight begins, we see Tim Elliott kind of Doing his best, uh, he has a very awkward style. He mixes in his striking and grappling well, but his bread and butter is his wrestling. And you see him getting a degree of success here. Uh, Some potentially illegal knees uh, find a target in the process for him. Going into the final round of the fight, it was fairly competitive. Uh, I think most had it 19-19, but you could even argue 20-18 for Elliott. Uh, and Elliot's doing good work in the third round as well. Once again, he yeah, he's coming very close to some illegal knees. And let me tell you, these this preliminary card, this never-ending pre- preliminary card, was just chock full of fouls. It was probably the most fouls in a four-hour period you'll ever see in MMA. But uh, regardless, none of them get called, and Elliot's in a really good position with time running down. And Mokayev just kind of, like, from his knees, picks Elliot up and tosses him down to the ground where he takes top position, works his way to Elliot's side, catches him in an arm triangle, and forces the submission at three minutes and three seconds of the third round. Uh, a really impressive win from uh, Muhammad Mokayev. Uh, he garnered some criticism for really playing the grounded opponent game throughout this fight. Um, it looked like he was trying to get Elliot disqualified at times with those illegal knees, but it's the game. It's a game that's played by many, and it ultimately worked out for him here, uh, securing the third round submission. Yeah, um, he was definitely playing the game. Uh, Tim Elliott was, you know, he was trying to lift him up to be able to do the knees, right? So it was like yeah. he plant the hands down, and so he tried to lift him up and land the knees, and 
And the ref did stop it twice, but, you know, reviewed the footage, saw the shots weren't actually illegal and put them back in the same position. So I thought it was actually pretty good refing uh, in, in, in this case. But ultimately, uh, none of that really mattered because uh, Mokayev was able to secure that submission win in the third round with the arm triangle. Uh, very impressive performance. I thought from him, uh, you know, Tim Elliott, savvy veteran, very wild opponent, difficult to deal with. Um, and Mokayev, I thought, handled it uh, very, very well. And this will put him in the top 10. Um, I guess the question is, who do you put him up against? I'm looking at the flyweight rankings and the name that I see that I think would be a pretty interesting one. Uh, super tough test, uh, but somebody coming off of two losses. Kai Kara France. Yeah, he called like he called for Kara France two or three times in his post fight interview as well. I think that's a smart fight to make. Uh, it would really it would really show you the level that Mohamed Mokayev's at one way or the other and is a I mean it would be a tough test for Kai Kara France as well. It's a, at flyweight there aren't really a lot of easy matchups in your top 15. Um, other names that he called out, I think, were Amir Abazi and Manal Comp. Uh, I could see those fights happening too, but I'm with you. The Kai Kara France match would uh, interest me the most. Mokayev also asked to be the backup fighter uh, for uh, the upcoming uh, flyweight title fight between Alexander Pantoja and Brandon Royval, which is supposed to be happening at UFC 296. So, um, you know, depending on if anything happens there, we could see Mokayev uh, jump back into action for a title shot uh, pretty soon. Uh, that wouldn't shock me, although, uh, you know, those guys are pretty regular with making it to their fights. That's a good fight, by the way. I haven't given it much thought since it was announced, but I'm just thinking about it now. Roy Val and Pantoja, that, that should be fun. All right, why don't you just give us some of the results, and then we can stop on uh, maybe the two other uh, interesting fights that occurred on the uh, prelims. We had Trevor Peak defeating Mohamed Yaya by unanimous decision with scores of 28, uh, 29 to 28 and 230s to 27. And I, I think that this next fight, it has to be one of the interesting fights in which he mentioned because I had this specifically marked down as if there was only one fight we were going to talk about from these prelims. It was going to be this fight right here. And that's Javid Bashvarat versus Victor Henry. The, the mo perhaps the most talked about fight of this entire card. I'm not going to talk about the first round. It sucked. We're going to go into round two. And not long into the first round, like, or sorry, second round, seconds, uh, a low blow from Batrat just floors Victor Henry. This guy in, is in as much pain as you have ever seen a human being. He is just like writhing in pain on the ground. We, we see the replays. It looks bad. And the doctor, the doctor comes in to check on him. And the doctor says, no, it, it didn't land there. You're, you're faking it, basically. <laughs> and, and Henry's reaction to this, just telling him, no, it, it caught exactly where I think it did. Just It was uh, a peak MMA here. A, a horrible, horrible uh, reaction from this doctor. And... Uh, Victor Henry is sent to the hospital afterwards. He is like vomiting backstage um, to accuse this man of faking. 
when <laughs> I, I don't think you could fake the level of pain this guy was in uh, quite the moment. It's a no contest at 15 seconds of the second round. Um, what did you think about this disaster, Phil? I mean, yeah, it was it was painful to watch. Uh, I mean, the, the dude was in agony. It kind of reminded me of um, a long time fight. Uh, Chris sure. do you remember this fight? Former UFC heavyweight. Um, you're you're going to have to go further. Uh, he, I forget who he took on, but he, I, maybe it was Gabriel Gonzaga, I think. Yeah. And he got hit with a nut shot and he was just writhing in pain. And he ended up actually losing the fight because he couldn't continue, uh, which <laughs> is just absolute uh, insanity. Uh, but it really reminded me of that one. I mean, I think, let me see when that fight took place. That would have been in 2009, uh, if that's okay. the one that I'm, I'm thinking of. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, um, I don't know. I could ha- <laughs> have my fights uh, confused here. But, uh, yeah, just uh, a horrible situation. And then the the ref to come in there, the doctor to come in the, there the and doctor, say, yeah. yeah, to say, like, you, you know, like, just absolute insanity and uh, led to a lot of criticism of this doctor. Of course, we mentioned earlier or later in the night, uh, played a significant role in uh, the Johnny Walker fight. Um, so uh, Dana White mentioning that this doctor was fairly inexperienced. I'm assuming he means inexperienced in dealing with fights. But, you know, the UFC is hiring these people. So whose fault is that? Uh, yeah, just awful. And, uh, yeah, I really hope that, uh, Henry makes a full recovery and there's no, uh, long-term damage to, uh, to him. Yeah. M- moving on as we go through these prelims here, we have Mike Breeden defeat Angela Jubilee by knockout at three minutes of the third round. Now, this was a very entertaining fight. Yep. Uh, Jubilee kind of I wouldn't say dominated, but was a clear step ahead of Breeden throughout the first two rounds. He was getting the better of the striking exchanges. I think he recorded a knockdown in the second round. And then we go into round three. And Mike Breeden's corner must have gave him like the speech of a lifetime because he looks like a different person entirely. He's he's barking like a dog marching forward. He's throwing wild shots while he's taunting. His, his corner is barking like a dog with him. You could hear them like uh, on the audio from the from from the octagon. And Jubilee just kind of shuts down after a really solid start to the fight. He It seemed as though he was either gassed or he had no idea how to handle this pressure. And he was more or less a frozen opponent for the remainder of the fight as Breeden teed off on him until he ultimately secured the knockout at three minutes of that third and final round. An impressive comeback victory, uh, complete with some wild theatrics. Yeah, yes. Uh Jubilee, you know, he looked promising. He was his type of fighter, though. He was making some like pretty uh, elementary mistakes that Breeden wasn't really able to capitalize on in rounds one and two. And Cormier was pointing those out. And then ultimately, yeah, he just kind of shut down. Um, maybe it was gas. Maybe it, it, it was, you know, who knows what. But he, he wasn't able to deliver in round three. Breeden was super game. Pours it on and ends up getting the uh, KO. One thing to note about this is that Breeden missed weight by three and a half pounds, so a significant margin. And uh, as the commentators noted, it looked like he had a cut above his eye beforehand, which uh, did open up during the fight. 
And uh, so that might have been uh, one of the reasons why he wasn't able to make weight. So uh, always sucky when the guy who doesn't make weight gets the W, but Breeden, you know, came back here. Jubilee had more than ample opportunity to uh, win this fight and uh, Breeden, you know, pulled it out of the fire. So uh, kudos to him. As we continue along the fight pass prelims that took place about 24 hours ago now, we have Muhammad John Nemov defeating Nathaniel Wood by unanimous decision, scores of 29 to 28 all. Uh, Victoria Dudikova defeating Jinyu Fry by unanimous decision, 29-28 all. And to start the card, we had Shara Magomedov defeating Bruno Silva by unanimous decision with all scores of 30 to 27. So that was UFC 294. Um, yeah. A top-heavy card. Yes, uh, definitely the main card more interesting than the preliminary card, not just from name value, but also from the in-cage action. I did want to touch on the Nathaniel Wood versus Muhammad Naimov fight because, sure. you know, Wood is somebody who is, you know, strong prospect yeah. and uh, he kind of got a raw deal in this fight, I believe, because there were multiple... Uh, strikes to a, clear fouls by Naimov in here. And you really could have made the case for a point deduction against Naimov in this one. Uh, Wood ended up, you know, did very well in the third round, poured it on, looked very good with the striking. Um, uh, you know, Naimov mostly controlled with uh, the wrestling. He had some good striking as well, but those illegal shots you know it's hard to quantify how impactful they were so and there were they were there were so many of them that i really feel you needed to deduct a point and it would have at least led to a draw for wood yeah definitely a tough outing for nathaniel wood um uh, he was a pretty sizable favorite going into the fight so to naimov's credit he did pull off the upset win here in, in only a second ufc fight against the guy who's kind of on the verge of uh, cracking the rankings there. So uh, credit to Naimov. He, he showcased some good timing with his takedowns, but uh, an unfortunate result for Nathaniel Wood. Yes, and so that wraps up UFC 294. Uh, we had performance of the night bonuses for Islam Makachev, Ikram Alaskarov, Saeed Nurmagomedov, and Muhammad Mokayev. Uh, no fight of the night award for Usman and Chemayev. And, you know, kind of feel bad for, uh, uh, we were just talking about him. What's his face? Breeden. But I guess Breeden missed weight. So, missed he, weight, would, yeah. so he was not qualified for uh, performance bonus. So the UFC returns. They take a rare weekend off next weekend. And they will return for UFC fight night. Jalton Almeida, super exciting heavyweight, taking on Derek Lewis, who got his first win in some time not too long ago and re-signed with the UFC. Uh, that will be taking place on November 4th from Sao Paulo, Brazil. I'm trying to see if there's anything else interesting on here. You've got Rodolfo Vieira coming back, taking on okay. Armin Petrosian. Uh, Angela Hills buried down here somewhere. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah so not too much to get excited about other than that main event. And then John will return. Uh, on November 11th, as the UFC returns to Madison Square Garden, as you've got 
John Jones taking on Stipe Miocic for the UFC heavyweight title. And you've also got a light heavyweight bout between Yuri Prohaska and Alex Pereira. Um, also on that card, uh, Mackenzie Dern taking on Jessica Andrade, Matt Frivola versus Benoit Saint Denis. And that's about it in terms of interesting <laughs> fights on that card. Uh, what do you think about that, uh, John Jones versus Stipe Miocic, uh, main event there? What a lot um, of people think it might be Stipe Miocic's last fight ever, win or lose. I wouldn't be surprised if it's both fighters last fight ever win or lose to be honest with you. Uh, I think for both guys it's a uh, you win and you have a hell of a name at the end of your resume. What more is there to accomplish? You really want to go in there with the Sergey Pavloviches of the world who don't have the name value but definitely have that knockout power. Uh, Jones and Miocic are both fighters who I think most would agree are past their primes at this point. The, the question is just is Stipe that far gone that he, he would no longer be competitive with a John Jones? He's still very good. I mean, it, it's impossible to say, especially for Stipe, who's had like one fight in the last four years, right? I mean, I guess you could say the same thing about John Jones, right? Mm-hmm. One fight in the last four years. So uh, it, I think it's cool that they're doing a fight between the greatest heavyweight in UFC history and the greatest light heavyweight of all time while they can. It's something they missed out on with my dream matchup of Jose Aldo and Dominic Cruz. But uh, I can't say I'm as excited about the fight itself as I would have been like five years ago when both guys were, um, you know, a bit closer to their peaks as performers. The co-main event, I think, will be the fight of the night. Yeah. I mean, two super exciting fighters, Alex Pereira and Yuri Prohaska. I mean, Pereira's last fight wasn't the most thrilling, which is something unusual for him. But, uh, I mean, Yuri Prohaska is always super entertaining and uh, I I don't see how this fight could be bad. So, uh, super excited about that one. Um, now I did mention that the UFC is off next weekend, but that doesn't mean that there isn't exciting fight action, right? Of right. Course. Because we have our guy. He's our guy. He's representing our sport. Francis Nganu is going to box Tyson Fury on Saturday, October 28th from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Eric, what, what's your interest level on this fight? Uh, zero. My, my interest level in all of these freak show fights has been very, very low. I think, you know, you know which one I was most excited to watch? The, the one I was actually excited to watch was Anderson Silva versus Tito Ortiz, just because I knew exactly what would happen and it'd be really <laughs> funny. I, I know what's going to happen here too. We all know what's going to happen. It's just, it's not as funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me see what the odds are for that one because, uh, I imagine it's like way out there. Let's Do you see. think that Ninganu, like just according to the betting line, Ninganu has better odds to win than Conor McGregor did against Floyd Mayweather? You would assume so, right? But I don't know if the uh, if I the hype would be there. Mm, interesting. So right now on uh, FanDuel, Ninganu is a plus seven twenty, and Tyson Fury is a minus thirteen fifty. So that's like a considerable, Nagano's considerably a bigger underdog than McGregor was. 
Yeah, I I think the the difference is the fact that you know McGregor was the bigger fighter here. Uh, yeah, when yeah. when he fought Mayweather, and exactly. So in this case, they're you know roughly going to be the same size, and also you know Tyson Fury was certainly not looking terribly in shape during the uh, initial press conference that they had for this one. But yeah, I mean it would be uh, very surprising if. <laughs> Uh, Nganu is able to pull out the win in his first boxing match. Um, I, I, I just, I, I mean, I, I'd be shocked, but you know, maybe, maybe you never know. You never yeah, know. Yeah, may- maybe he will somehow catch Fury with one of his winning, like, shovel hammer fists, and <laughs> he will prove himself to be the best boxer in the world. <laughs> Like I don't know what to say about this. Uh, it, it's it's not for me, but I know some people are into that. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be on at a reasonable time, so uh, maybe I'll uh, check it out. I mean, I'm certainly going to watch the highlights of it at the very least. So, I mean, I'm I'm kind of interested, and I'm I'm glad that Nganu is getting yeah, paid, definitely. getting a lot of money, and uh, but yeah, I, I'm. Unless he pulls off the miracle, which I'm not betting. I'm not too excited to see him in boxing. I'm generally not excited to see UFC fighters in boxing or bare-knuckle fighting. I like to see MMA fighters do MMA, and I like to see boxers do boxing. And uh, I don't like to see YouTubers do each either. So, uh, with that said, I think it's time uh, we bid uh, the stream adieu. Yeah. Um, I do uh, feel that uh, we, we do need a brief Spider-Man 2 review since uh, it seems like the YouTube chat is clamoring for it because I know that's outside of UFC coverage that's been uh, <laughs> occupying much of your time, Eric. Okay, okay. No, no spoilers. You are all safe, but uh, I have recently finished Spider-Man 2, uh, Insomniac Spider-Man 2, not Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Uh, an excellent game. Go go out of your way to play it. Some of the most like the gameplay is absolutely excellent. Uh, a fun story mode. The side missions are really great, and graphically, it's it's a stunning game as well. So yeah, go check it out if you have a PS5. Awesome. And with that, we will say goodbye. Thank you to everybody who turned in. Thank you to all the postmarks. Remember to like this video. Remember to hit that subscribe button. And if you want more amazing content. Why don't you check out postwrestlingcafe.com or patreon.com slash postwrestling and see the amazing amount of additional shows that you receive each and every month from the tremendous team that is at Post Wrestling only for a few dollars a month. What an an amazing deal. So go on over, sign up, and thanks again. And uh, Eric will be back in just a few weeks with John to cover UFC 295. Thank you, everybody. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.